And it's that spirit, it's that Holy Spirit that the scripture talks to us about that leads us to the truth sometimes. We've t- I've tied this together with this, is that so many of us came into faith in believing in the Lord, believing in morals, believing in right and wrong, sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. And that it was there that when, when, when something happened or somebody would ask a question or somebody did something wrong, you'd have that gut feeling. You'd have that check in your spirit that you would knew it was right or wrong. And that is the helper. That's what God, that's what the Messiah said was going to come after he was gone, was his spirit was going to come and it was going to, going to be help you to remember the words of Yeshua and all the things that he commanded. And that spirit inside of you was that gut check that everybody has and everybody's still sitting in church on Sunday morning. There's a lot of people that still have that too. But then we come into knowledge. We come into what we call truth. We learn about Torah, the commandments, those teachings. And those things we read though, we finally open our Bibles from page one instead of two thirds through the book. And you go back, you start reading and then you realize that there, everything that you knew in your spirit is confirmed with words on a page. Amen and amen. But what happens is people go so far into that, go so far into the truth, go so far into the words on the page that they then forget that immeasurable feeling that's unquantifiable, that's in their heart, in their soul, that speaks to them and tells them right and wrong. But yet, for the most part, our movement is very, very comfortable with staying the same. Don't you dare take the plastic off of grandma's couch. quickest way to get beat. We're worried if we say Jesus. We're worried if we say Yahweh. Because it's Yahovah. It's Yahuwah. Tell you what, none of us are Hebrew scholars. So let's just do the best we can. We allow semantics to define us. And those semantics drive a wedge between us and others. Especially in the generational gap. the mind. 
everything I have is yours Shalom and welcome to our live stream. My name is Chris Frankie and I'm one of the pastors here at HFF. We're glad that you've joined us. If this is your first time joining us for our service, welcome. The service is going to start in just a couple of minutes. At Hebraic Family Fellowship, we are a family-centered fellowship. We believe that the most important ministry that the Lord has given us is to our own home, to our wives, our husbands, to our children. We're glad you're here with us. We pray that your Sabbath has been blessed. And we can't wait to meet you in person one day soon. Shabbat Shalom. you guys we are looking forward to meeting again with you and uh, we can't uh, wait to all be back together at HFF Shabbat Shalom Shabbat Shalom HFF family from our family Shabbat Shalom Thunder say Shabbat Shalom <laughs> not interested Crash, say Shabbat Shalom. We miss you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. I uh, hope everybody's enjoying the Sabbath at home with your family. Uh, be safe. A couple of quick announcements this week. 
And then the following week, uh, we're going to have a sit down with Lex Meyer, Michael Stallsworth, and myself as we discuss uh, First Fruits and uh, some of the Spring Feast Days. So super excited about all of those things. want to also let you guys know about a broadcast that's happening on Wednesdays on Timber Creek's Facebook page. It's called the Prayer Initiative. And they do a, lot, a time of live worship, a time of prayer. And so just want to make everybody aware of that as well. And uh, if you guys have a need that you need something, please let us know. Reach out via the website, Facebook, whatever. So uh, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, enjoy this time of worship. Tremble, you are, you are. 
together to praise you to lift our voices in adoration of you Father we ask that as we come into this place that you will prepare our hearts and our minds to meet with you here today all the hassles of this world all the commotion of this week Father that you would just push it off that we would be able to meet here with you today. For it's in the name of Yeshua we ask of me.
Let's pour out a blessing on these little ones on this Sabbath day. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this Sabbath, the blessings of this congregation, the facility that we have here that we can um, join together with the Holy Convocation, with one another, with all the brethren in this community. And Father, we thank you for all of these beautiful little ones that are before us we pour out a blessing upon them, and Father, as we, as a community and as a fellowship, Father, we pray that you would pour out your very best blessing upon each and every one of these beautiful, smiling faces this morning. Father, for the opportunity that it is to raise up these children, I pray that we would always uh, stand firm to protect each and every one of these little kids from anything that might cause them harm, that we would always stand in the gap and protect these just like you said, Lord, that if anyone causes any harm to one of these kids, it's as if they cause harm to you. So, Father, I pray that anyone who has an opportunity to speak to any one of these children, may it be your words of life that are spoken to them. May you always grant your wisdom, Lord, into the hearts and minds of the parents, the elders, that have an opportunity to rear up these children. Father, I pray that you would always protect them, guard their eyes and their ears, anything that might, they might see or hear in this world, Father, that would uh, cause hurt or harm to them, Father. I pray that you would just blunt the plans of the enemy and the works of the world, Lord, that would pollute their minds. And Father, guard their mouth and their lips, Father, anything they might say, Father, I pray that you would protect them, cause them to not say anything they would regret, may it always be words of kindness upon their lips. Protect their heart and mind, Lord, and fill it with your spirit, Lord. May no spirit that is not of you enter into their life. Protect them, Lord. Watch over them. We thank you, Lord, for these beautiful children. Pour out a blessing upon them. Upon the sons, may they be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply. And on the daughters, may they be as Ruth and as Esther, make them righteous daughters of Zion. We bless them all on this Sabbath day, and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shalom and welcome to HFF. My name is Dr. Deborah Gold, and I'm here today to talk to you about the mysteries of Passover revealed. Okay, it's exciting. It's an exciting presentation, and I believe with all my heart that you will see some real mysteries that maybe you've never considered before that are part of 
Passover and why, as we believers in Messiah, believing in Jesus Christ, believing in Yeshua, the Messiah, are to celebrate and to revere Passover as a beautiful and amazing time of the year. But I'm going to start off the message probably a little bit strange because I'm going to use a quote from, of all people, Shakespeare. And the quote I'm going to read to you is, this is his quote, All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. And I love that quote because there is so much truth in it. We really are on the stage of life. We have a grand entrance when we're born. We have a time that it's time for us to exit. But did you know that the Almighty God Himself the creator of all humanity has asked us to participate in a drama, a real life drama that plays out the plan of salvation and the plan of redemption. So let me explain that. The entire story of the saving of mankind from sin in the garden to the final acts, which is, when is the final act? It's at the end of the thousand-year reign of Messiah, of Christ. So we're invited to not only remember, because remembering means more than, oh, I remember that. Our remembering has to do with embracing, understanding, getting to participate with this drama that unfolds throughout the year. And we get to rehearse this plan every single year. What these are called are called in Hebrew Moedim. And in Hebrew Moedim means appointed times, but it also means so much more than that. Not only does it mean appointed times, it literally means rehearsals where we get to participate within these appointed times, that we get to be players on this stage of redemption. And there's a mystery to that and a picture that I believe we're invited to see every single year. We are asked and invited to remember. The biblical feasts, uh, that I'm talking about, these appointed times, these Moedim, are all lined out in Leviticus 23. And it lays out the plan of redemption with each of these festivals all every year that we're to repeat these, every cycle. It tells you exactly when. And go study Leviticus 23, please. But I'm going to read a couple of quotes, a couple of passages from Leviticus 23, because I think they're really important to this message. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Notice what he says there. 
Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord. These are my feasts. They're not the Jewish people's feasts. They're not just the people of Israel's feasts. They are the Lord's feasts. All seven feasts that are described in this chapter of Leviticus are proclaimed to be eternal, everlasting covenants. Here's a question. If, which I think the scripture shows clearly this is true, if the Father proclaimed them as eternal, I think we know what eternal means, and I think we know what everlasting means, and he, he labeled them or pronounced them his feasts, there has to be something, and they're to be kept every year, annually, at the appointed time. So from that, I think it's a fair deduction to realize, hmm, what does the Lord want us to see in these feasts? What does he want us to rehearse? What does he want us to remember? So let's, let's kind of explore this. And I'm, I'm really laying a foundation here. And we're going to get into the meat of this. And I think once we get into the meat of this, you're going to go, oh my, oh my. The let's, let's start with the spring feast. Passover, also known as Pesach. And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, or the Matzah Feast. The Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of Weeks, which is commonly known as Pentecost or Shavuot, what did each of these feasts foretell? They each foretold and described the first coming of Messiah. Now, what about the fall feasts? There are seven feasts in a year outlined in, the, in uh, Leviticus chapter 23. What about the fall feasts? Well, the fall feasts, there's a feast of trumpets, Yom Tura, or some call it Rosh Hashanah. The Day of Atonement, or the Day of Judgment, Yom Kippur. And the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot. What do the fall feasts signify? They signify the second coming of Messiah. All of these are outlined in the fall feasts. We're going to focus mainly on Passover and unleavened bread because the entire, and you can study these feasts out for yourself and you'll be amazed at what all they show. And, and you can see why we're to rehearse them, to understand them, to remember them annually because it, it prepares us for the things that are ahead. We're going to focus, though, on Passover and unleavened bread. Why? Because the entire rest of the feast hinges upon these feasts, the Passover. Had Passover never occurred, there would be no reason for the rest of the feast. So here's what happened. In dying on the cross, Yeshua fulfilled the first two festivals. Passover deals with redemption through the death of a lamb. Unleavened bread, what's that about? 
getting rid of leaven or sin. In the Bible, leaven typifies sin. So we have to get rid of the sin in our life. The death of the Lamb of God at Passover paid the price for our indebtedness and gave us a way to be free from sin, to be free we become unleavened bread. The Messiah became unleavened. He had no sin in him at all. None. None. He was the leavened bread of Passover. What about first fruits? What could that be about? Because it's really, you know, fruit deals with offering God the first of the produce. No, first fruits was the day that Yeshua, after spending three days, and three nights in the tomb, he was what? Resurrected to life. I think Paul describes it aptly in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. And it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I think the thing that we can learn from this, honestly, is that if everything were timed perfectly for the Messiah to come when he came, to become the Lamb, to become our Passover, and all of these things happened on those feast days, I think we can be pretty well assured that the fall feasts that are yet to be fulfilled at his second coming will happen at the appointed time. So it's something for us to think about. Now, finally, uh, Pentecost or Shavuot, what happened then? It was fulfilled in Acts 2 upon the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost deals with the seal of the covenant. It's the relationship with God as they received the law on Mount Sinai. That was the seal of the covenant there. He brought them out. He saved them from bondage. And then what happened? He sealed them with his marriage covenant. We are sealed in Acts 2 because we've accepted Yeshua as our Passover. This is the one time of year when everything we've ever known about Passover, about the Jewish people, our heritage of the Hebrews, intersects perfectly at this time of year. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit living inside of you and living inside of me is the fulfillment of first fruits, the fulfillment of Shavuot. Now, of course, if I want to go back to the very beginning, I would go back to the garden. The first prophecy, we were on his mind from Genesis 3.15 on. We were on his mind after man fell, after the first Adam fell. We were already in the plan of redemption. The very first prophecy was this. He was going to put enmity between the woman and his seed, Hasatan. And he would bruise him 
in the head. And he would bruise Yeshua, our Savior, Jesus, in the heel. Very first prophet. There was a plan already set forth for our redemption and for our salvation. There was a first Adam, but gloriously there was already a plan for a second Adam. Now I want to go back to something that I think is a great mystery of the Passover, and you'll see how this intersects. So I hope you just allow me a little bit of leeway here as I build this foundation. I want to talk about Abraham and the blood covenant that was cut with Abraham. And you'll find that in the 15th chapter of Genesis. Now I'm going to read verse 12 here. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. That was sudden, instantaneous realization, total outlandish horror and, and fear. Why? Why? Because the, the, the meat had already been cut. Okay, so let me explain to you what a blood covenant is in the near ancient world. A blood covenant is the most serious covenant that you can get involved with, in with anyone. And in their estimation, a blood covenant, there was absolutely no way out of this blood covenant. So they cut the animals in two, okay? And there was a tremendous amount of blood. I mean, there were several ox, goats, you know, it was just a tremendous amount of blood. And they calved them in two. And then the covenant was made as you walked through in between that slaughtered meat. And there was so much blood that it was usually ankle deep or more, depending on the size of the, the animals that were used. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. A blood covenant meant that if you break the covenant, part of the covenant is is if I break this covenant, I am willing to die and be like those animals that you're walking down through. Is it any reason, I mean, not reason, but is it any wonder, I should say, that Abraham freaked out when he realized, oh my gosh, I'm incapable of keeping a perfect covenant. And my ancestry, my, and my, my children, and my children's children, and all down the line that, that the Lord said I would, they would be like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. They have to keep this covenant too. And Abraham knew it was impossible. And fear came upon him, great fear, terror, to the point that he literally knocked out passed out. But what happens? And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking pot, a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day 
the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now let's think about this for a minute. Who was that? Because someone took Abraham's place and said, I will walk the covenant for both of us. And I will keep the covenant. I will keep this blood covenant. So that he didn't have to fear of becoming like those animals. Who was that? Of course it was the Messiah. He was the same fire that led the Israelites in the wilderness and the pillar of smoke that led them. He was that. He was there with Abraham as he was there in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And we should take comfort in that to know that he's here with us right now. Now, I know there's an elephant in the room right now that we're talking about because the whole reason this is videotaped is because of this plague that is plaguing all humanity right now. It's, it's phenomenal. And if you don't think the Lord of hosts is involved in this, when can you ever in history find when the entire world was shut down? That's what we're living right now. The entire world economy, commerce, you name it, it's all shut down down and all of us are quarantined to our houses unprecedented but I believe it's the Lord I believe that we're going to experience the greatest outpouring that this world has ever seen when we come through this I believe that the Lord is doing something he's forcing us to be quarantined have you ever thought about since the very first Passover with the children of Israel. There has never been a Passover where God's people all over the world, Jews and Christians alike, are quarantined to their homes. Other than the first Passover, when they waited. Now, when I'm saying that, I want us to put ourselves there, okay? If you need to close your eyes, and imagine that you're at that first Passover in Egypt. You were told to kill a ram, a lamb. And you were told to slit its throat and then roast it and eat it and put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of your home. And if you did that, and if you were obedient to it, then you were told that the angel of death would pass over you. Okay, now just imagine being there. For one thing, the Egyptians worshipped the ram. This was like the greatest insult they could have done by killing this lamb and putting the blood over the doorposts. I'm sure the, they were worried that the Egyptians, would. this would be it. They would slaughter all of them for doing this. It took a great deal of faith and obedience for them to do that that night. But that doesn't mean that they weren't afraid. Can you imagine? Just imagine. We're there. We've done this. We've put the blood over the doorposts, and then we wait. Maybe there was a cool breeze blowing through as the angel of death went over our houses. And we're waiting and wondering, oh my gosh, will the angel of death really pass over? 
Will it really? Is it really going to happen the way Moses said it would? Is it really going to happen? And then suddenly you begin to hear the wailing and the anguish of people all over the land that are finding their firstborn children dead. Can you imagine? And you're waiting and you're standing there after having eaten the Passover meal, the lamb, and you're waiting and you're standing and you're watching and you're waiting. Can you really picture that? Isn't that kind of the way we are right now today? Isn't the same fear they have or had the same fear many in the world have right now? And not just, I'm not talking in the world per se, I'm talking in the body of Messiah, in the believers. Is the blood of the Lamb going to be enough? Am I really going to be redeemed? Am I really going to, is the, is the death angel really going to pass me over? Is he really? Am I going to have eternal life? These are questions believers ask even today, except they were terrified because they were right in the middle of it. But we don't need to fear, and neither did they, what's coming upon the earth right now. It became known for God's people that night was a night of watching. After the Passover, we were watching and waiting to see what the Lord would do. I've laid the foundation somewhat, okay? And every year there's a telling. And we're supposed to share the story of redemption. We are supposed to share the story of being set free, of being out of bondage, of, of total deliverance. Salvation by the blood of the Lamb hasn't changed. Deliverance hasn't changed for God's people. We are to wait when we're in times like this and see and watch what the Lord is going to do. And we need to share that with our children. We need to share the victories we remember. And the remembrance is in the telling. This is what happened. This is what happened then. This is what happened in Messiah's day. And this is what's happening now. And we give our children the opportunity to believe with us in the power and the might of our King. Now Messiah wasn't going to be just an actor on the stage. He was going to, this wasn't a rehearsal for him 2,000 years ago. It was the reality. He was going to play this out for real. He was the ram caught in the thicket to spare Isaac. He was the fulfillment of the blood covenant with Abraham. He was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that saved Israel. He, in the past, it was a rehearsal. He was all of those things to be a foretelling of his coming. But now, more than just a foretelling, this was really 
going to happen in real time. Now he would not be rehearsing. It would be up to him to become the redeemer of all humanity, to carry all of our sins, our shame, our iniquities, our failures, all the way from Adam through that night 2,000 years ago to us now, to the future. For every past sin, he carried it. For every future sin, he carried it. From Adam until now, this was his time now. Let's go to that Passover night in the upper room with his disciples. There were four cups, and there are four cups, to Passover. Number one, the cup of sanctification. His promise was, I will bring you out. Two was, is the cup of deliverance. I will set you free from bondage. The cup of redemption, I will save you. I will be your God. The cup of protection. I not only will be your God, but you are mine. Which is really marriage talk as a husband protects his bride. But some of you may know and some of you may not, there's a fifth cup for the Passover. And the fifth cup today, as it was known in Jesus' day, is actually called the cup of Elijah. But originally, it was the cup of wrath. The cup of wrath is depicted in Jeremiah as being poured out on the nations, being poured out through all eternity. I'm going to reach down here and get a symbolized cup of wrath. And this was to be poured out upon all of humanity that did not love God, that did not serve Him, that sinned, that they deserved the cup of wrath to be poured out upon them. And so years and years and years, the rabbis argued the point, well, we know the promises in the land of Egypt, but there's also a fifth cup, the cup of wrath, and it's in Scripture too. Do we put it in the Passover or do we leave it out? They tried and tried and tried to come to a conclusion, and they couldn't. So that's how it became Elijah's cup. They said, well, when Elijah comes, Elijah's going to come before the Messiah. We'll let him straighten it out with this giant cup of wrath. We'll let him decide if it goes in the Passover celebration and how do we fit it in and where do we fit it in. We'll let him decide, but I want to tell you, I believe the rabbis were wrong. The cup of Elijah now has just become kind of a cutesy thing that the kids do, you know. Oh, does, is, look outside. Is Elijah outside? No, he's not there. Oh, well, the Messiah is not coming yet. And it, it's cute and it's fun for the kids. Don't get me wrong. I'm not condemning that in any way. But I think what it became wasn't what even the rabbis intended. 
They thought Elijah would reveal it, but the Messiah revealed the cup of wrath in the Passover. And I want to get to that right now. It wasn't Elijah's to decide. It was Messiah's. If you remember Jesus, Yeshua, and I'm, I'm using both terms because we have mixed multitudes in the audience. We have people that call his name Jesus, which is fine. It's the English translation. And there's people that call him by his Hebrew name, Yeshua, which means Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation. So when you call on his name in Hebrew, you're actually calling salvation, which is kind of um, a little play there that, uh, you know, the Lord does things like that all the time, just as a reminder. But it doesn't matter. He knows when you call upon him. So I, I, I want to lay that out. So if I, if I kind of bounce back and forth, that's the reason for it in, in the name. It's, it's, it's him. It's our Messiah. It's our King. And that's the important thing. And what did he say? He told his disciples, I have desired to keep this Passover with you. And he says, but there's going to be a betrayer tonight. And of course, all the disciples are looking at you. Is it I? Is it me? They had no idea. And he says, it'll be someone who dips with me. But they all dipped that night. Not necessarily with him, but they obviously didn't know what he meant because they still were asking the question, is it me? Is it I? Is it me? So all of this is going on at this Passover dinner. And then he lifts the cup of sanctification. And he lifts the cup of deliverance during this, because the liturgy was already set. It had been settled between Hillel and, I mean, they had argued for years and figured out, okay, we're going to put this in the Passover, this in the Passover, and it was all settled by the time Jesus was on the earth. It was a done deal. So they kept, you know, this liturgy. But the cup of redemption, the third cup, is when he explained to them, and I'm going to read it in Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so they did. But when he got to the cup, and that was the cup of redemption. But when he got to the cup of protection, he said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
So he actually passed on the cup of protection. If you read all the Gospels, you can kind of piece it all together and figure it out. But it's, it's an interesting evening, to say the least. I don't know what happened when he passed on the cup of protection. It was part of the liturgy at that time. Did they say, well, you know, did they drink it? I don't know. Did they say, hey, no, you got to do it. Jesus, you got to do it, Yeshua. It's part of the thing, you know. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But I think it makes it pretty evident that he didn't partake of that cup, nor would he take, drink wine again until the kingdom of when he comes again in his glory and in the kingdom. So, at the end, the point is, at the end of this dinner, they left the dinner, they sang a hymn before they left, or a psalm, at the end of the Seder dinner, and then they got up and they left. Now, they may have sang the song, they may have walked up to the temple, it doesn't say, and sang there. They may have sang right where they were having the Seder dinner, but the interesting thing is, is they had to walk. And if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. From the old city or the Temple Mount, you walk down a valley before you can get up to the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane. So you, you walk down and you have to exit through the Kindron Valley. Well, there had been hundreds of thousands of sacrifices that week. And so what happens is the blood drains down from the Temple Mount into this valley where there's a stream in the spring where there's a lot of water and the blood flows into the spring. They had to cross that. They had to step across that. Now, whether there was rocks there, I don't know. Whether they were able to keep their feet dry, I don't know. But in my mind, and I'm visualizing this, that they probably got blood on their robes. And maybe on the hems of their garments. And I, I'm going to explain to you why I think that's significant if that's the case. I'm not saying dead bang it is, I wasn't there, but wow, it really paints a picture. Now remember, after the Seder dinner was a night of watching. In Hebrew, it's called Leil Shimmerin, and that means night of watching. So, in Mark 14.32, I'm going to read what happens as they approach Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Now I want, that's in Mark uh, 33. I want to tell you that this doesn't even translate into English for what it really meant. It meant sudden realization, sudden terror to the point of extreme extreme anxiety, and it's hard to even translate this into English because our words don't match up as well. But it was sudden. It happened sudden. 
And it, and it says in verse 34, And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. I mean, this was serious. He was going through the greatest amount of pressure that any man has ever been under. And yes, I know he's divine. I think scripture shows us definitely enough proof there that he was divine in nature. But he was also, my, my Bible tells me that he was a man as well. And here he was struggling in his own humanity. And he went a little further. He says, stay here and watch. Peter, James, John, stay and watch. I can't even imagine the emotion to be sorrowful even to death, to be suddenly stark terror that he went a little further and he fell on the ground. And what did he pray? He prayed, Father, if it's possible, would you let this cup Pass from me. What cup was he talking about? What cup had him so distressed that he, every capillary in his face broke? What cup would have hurt to that degree and have been that frightening? What happened? to cause this sudden realization, this sudden terror. Did the blood of the Kidron remind him of his covenant with Abraham and walking through that blood and what happens to those animals? Did he remember that? Was it the slain blood on the doorpost, the slain lambs? And he was remembering that the cup of wrath was poured out on Egypt. And he was going to have to drink that cup. And so he asked the Father, please, let that cup, let it pass from me. He suddenly realized that all sin that has ever been committed from the beginning of time until now was going to be on him. He was going to feel the wrath of the ages. The pressure was so intense that every capillary broke in his face and he literally sweat blood. I've been scared before, but I've never sweat blood. How about you? I have never experienced that kind of terror. And in verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. I mean, he was pleading, all things are possible. You could do this. You could find another way. I don't think I could drink the cup of wrath. I'm not sure I can do it. Father, Daddy, Abba, please take this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will.
And he came and found them sleeping. And he said, could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch? Do you not know what is coming upon me? And they didn't. They didn't. I have asked, um, Melissa Ophel is going to sing a song now. And as you watch the song being sung, remember, remember what he did for you and what he did for me.
He drank it. He drank it all. Every drop. It's empty. It's empty. The wrath that was meant for you, the wrath that was meant for me, it's gone. He took it. He took it. He drank every drop. And when he was finished, he said, it is accomplished. I did it. Abba, I did it. It is done. It is done. It's empty. I believe every Passover, when the telling is done, we need to turn a cup upside down and say, look, it's empty. He drank it. Every last drop for you. And the true mystery and miracle of Passover is he thought you were worth it. He thought I was worth it. You know, he also said that not everyone who calls on my name will enter the kingdom. But he who does. In these times right now, I believe it's a warning cry. I believe like the children of Israel, they were supposed to display the character of God so that the world would know that their God was different than any other God. I believe right now we're being called as God's people, as his anointed, as his assigned followers to be that light in the world, to be what he's called us to be, to cry out, we are the spirit of Elijah. We are that spirit of Elijah. What did John the Baptist do? And he said, Yeshua said, someone greater than Elijah is here. What did he do? He cried for repentance. We need to be crying out to this world. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That's what we're to do. That's how we show his character, who he, who he is, what he did, what he accomplished for us. Every drop gone. Every drop gone. Let's tell the world. Let's tell the world what he's done. He said, do this in remembrance. Do this and remember. Do this and remember me. Remember this night. Remember tomorrow 
at 3 o'clock exactly the time that the Passover lamb was sacrificed at the temple, that I was given up as the lamb of the world. Remember, just as he walked between those two rows of halved animals that he hung between two men of flesh to complete the blood covenant with you and with me. Just like he did Abraham, he did it for us. We don't have to drink this cup because of what he did. Do this and remember. And I'm going to close with this because I think Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast. He didn't say don't keep it anymore. The price has already been paid for it. No, he said let us keep the feast. But just don't keep it with the way you always have been. Don't keep it with the old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And remember, he says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for tuning in. Our hearts and our love. And we pray protection. Drink the cup of protection this Passover. Remember, remember the angel of death that flew over them. And I pray for your family and my family, families all over the world that are believers in Yeshua, that the blood over the doorpost will save us. In His name, in His holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in motion and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Yisrael. Yivorechecha Arunai Vaishmarecha Yaheh Arunai Navilacha, Vihunecha, Yisarunai, Panahavilecha, Vayasim lecha, lecha. Shalom. 
B'shem Yeshuch HaMashiach, Sarcha Shalom, Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, that they lifted up and blessed the Lord because He has blessed us beyond belief. Even the ability to be able to be speaking to you today, no matter where you're at, it's a blessing. And we, we cannot thank the Lord enough for that. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, or you would like to give towards our widows and orphans and community funds to help those who are less fortunate, you can do so by visiting HebraicFamily.com. None of our staff takes any types of salaries or stipends, and all of the money is put back into furthering the work of the kingdom for the Lord. May Yeshua the Messiah bless you on the Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Shalom.